Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you and share with you from God's Word. It's a joy. And this morning, we are continuing in the Gospel of Mark, chapters 8 through 10. It's an honor to share with you from these words of the Lord Jesus. My name is Pastor C.T., is one of uh, the pastors here at Woodside Romeo. And uh, today we are continuing in our series on Mark chapters 8 through 10. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, it's about three quarters of the way through. You'll see the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, followed by Mark. And we are specifically in chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. That's where we'll be this morning. And we've titled the second half of this series, Paradox. And at least part of the reason for that title is that Jesus' teaching here sort of flips upside down conventional wisdom. The things that we take for granted, things that we assume to be true, Jesus challenges. And so in setting up the context for these sermons, we've mentioned several times that these three chapters, Mark 8 through 10, they take place as Jesus makes this journey toward Jerusalem. And as Jesus is traveling with his disciples, he's pressing in on them about what it means to follow him, what it means to be a Christian. And thus far, you might say, as he's been teaching them, thus far he's spoken in pretty general terms. He's called them to find joy in life by losing life. He's called them to find fulfillment through self-denial. So he's challenged conventional thinking, but he hasn't spoken very specifically as to how a life of sacrifice plays out. Well, all of that starts to change as we turn the corner into chapter 10. Next week, we'll see that Jesus challenges the status quo as it relates to money and material possessions. The following week, we'll see him do the same as it regards leadership. And this morning, Jesus shares some very strong words regarding societies and the church's standards for the specific issue of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I hope you will believe that as we've prepared for this message, all of us who are preaching across the different Woodside campuses, we have been greatly humbled and driven to prayer and reliance on the Lord. Because we realize how sensitive a topic this can be. We have strived more than ever to strike the balance between grace and truth. And so may the Lord help us and soften all of our hearts as we seek to hear from him. So Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, I'll read those words for us. And there the Holy Spirit writes. And Jesus left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to Jesus again. And again, as was Jesus' custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up to Jesus in order to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered, What did Moses command you? They said, 
Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked Jesus about this matter. And Jesus said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things the internet has changed most about my life is the way I listen to music. And one of the internet-based music platforms I've used is called Pandora, Pandora Internet Radio. And whenever you sign up for Pandora, you can go to pandora.com or search Pandora on the App Store. Whenever you sign up for Pandora, they ask you who your favorite music artists are and what types of music you like best. And then they create a personalized or custom radio station just for you. And so this first slide I have up here shows the uh, interface for Pandora on my web browser. You can see some of the radio stations that I've created. And the idea is that Pandora only plays songs that you like. Pandora only plays songs that you will agree to listen to. And so whenever Pandora's system gets it especially right, when they choose the perfect song, there's this thumbs up button down at the bottom. And I've got it circled for you there in the next slide. And if you press that button, then you're letting them know, hey, your algorithm is working. I love this song. Keep playing more songs like this one. However, there's also a thumbs down button. So if Pandora plays a song you don't like, if they play a song that's not agreeable to your tastes, then you can press the thumbs down button and they will never play that song again. You are in charge. You get to determine what you hear and what you don't. That's the way Pandora Internet Radio works. But, friends, that is not the way God's Word in Scripture works. There is not a thumbs-down button for the passages we don't like and a thumbs-up passage for the ones we do. You see, the most basic confession of faith for a Christian is this. Jesus is Lord. It doesn't get any more fundamental for us as it regards our belief than that. Jesus is Lord. So I'm not in charge. I don't get to determine which parts of his word I will listen to and which ones I won't. That's not the way Christianity works. Now, why make this point? 
In light of just having read Jesus' words in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, why make this point? Well, it's safe to say that divorce on demand and no-fault divorce are a huge problem in our broader culture and sadly also in the church. Still, I'll share some data with you. The Barna Research Group reported data earlier this month that 25% of all adults in this country have been divorced. And amongst those in their surveys who identified as evangelicals or practicing Christians, that number is exactly the same. And there's so much more data that we could look at. If you Google divorce and remarriage statistics, you'll find all sorts of reports and stats that spell out the widespread effects of no-fault divorce in our world and in the church. Um, This is more anecdotal or informal evidence of our divorce problem, but last week on Tuesday, we had our uh, monthly staff meetings, all staff meetings at the Woodside Troy campus, where once a month, all the staff from the different Woodside campuses will come together for all sorts of meetings throughout the day. And in one of the meetings we were in, uh, there were all the men who regularly preach and teach for the different Woodside campuses. There was probably 40 to 50 of us in the room. And Steve Zarelli, our former campus pastor here, he was the one actually leading the meeting. And he asked us there, he said, if you have a parent or a sibling who's been through a divorce, raise your hand. He asked us in that room, if you have a parent or a sibling who's been divorced, raise your hand. And me and Billy were talking later in the week, and we said we thought it was 60 to 80% of us who raised our hands. So let's just say seven out of 10 of us had a parent or a sibling who had been divorced. So Jesus' words here are hard-hitting, and they hit So many of us. However, we don't have the option of hitting the thumbs down button. We must listen to our Lord. No matter how hard he steps on our toes, no matter how personal it gets, he speaks truth in love. So, His message to us is simply this. Marriage is for life. Marriage is for life. As we'll see as we continue to look at this passage, God designed marriage to be a permanent, lifelong union to be husband and wife. And if we're to be genuine, faithful followers of Jesus, we must come to terms with where he stands on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The cost of following Jesus includes persevering in our marriages. The cost of following Jesus includes humbly repenting and sincerely confessing when we fail to uphold our marital vows. Because marriage is for life, our Lord says. So, Two demands of Jesus from this text. That's the way the sermon will unfold. Two demands of Jesus as it relates to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. The first one, accept 
that divorce was never God's design. Accept that divorce was never God's design. So, leading up to the birth of Jesus, the hundred or so years leading up to the birth of Jesus, there was a major debate amongst the Jewish people regarding divorce and remarriage. And the debate really centered around Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. So it was a controversy of biblical interpretation. And if we're going to understand Jesus' words here in Mark chapter 10, then we need to be at least somewhat aware of what's going on in this historical debate. So if you recall, the book of Deuteronomy is one of the first five books of the Bible, otherwise known as the Torah or the Pentateuch or the books of Moses. There's several names for the first five books of the Bible, but they were primarily written by Moses in order to instruct God's people on how they were to live before God and in society. And Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, records Moses' direction for divorce. And it's these words that were hotly debated in the years leading up to and during Jesus' life. So here's the main part of Deuteronomy chapter 24 that was debated. It's chapter 24, verse 1. And there Moses writes, When a man takes his wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes because the husband has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, and she departs out of his house. So you can see that portion I've underlined there, some indecency. And I've underlined it because that's the part that caused the debate. What does Moses mean by some indecency? That's the question that was argued about. And there were really two schools of thought on this. There were two sides of the debate. The one side was headed by a rabbi known as Rabbi Shammai. And Rabbi Shammai understood some indecency to mean sexual immorality. The implication being that divorce certificates could only be issued when one spouse had committed adultery. So it was a pretty narrow set of circumstances that allowed for a lawful divorce. Um, however, the other side of the debate was led by a man named Rabbi Hillel. And Hillel understood some indecency to be basically anything. Anything, that, in, anything in the wife that the man saw as unworthy or unfit, he could use as grounds for divorce. So contrary to Rabbi Shammai, it was a broad set of circumstances that could legitimize, legitimize divorce. And so Rabbi Hillel's position was referred to as any cause divorce. Because a man could divorce his wife for any cause he came up with. And so in light of this debate, the Pharisees approached Jesus, Mark says, to test him. The Pharisees are this particular group of Jews who by and large could not stand Jesus. And so they want to test Jesus. They want to catch him slipping up in this debate 
so that they can use whichever side he's on against him. If he falls on the Shammai side of the debate, the Pharisees can use that against him with Hillel's followers. If he falls on the Hillel side of the debate, he can use that, the Pharisees could use that against him with Shammai's followers. So as they're traveling, Jesus is teaching the crowds, and afterwards, the Pharisees approach him, asking him a question. They want to test him, to put him on trial, as it were. And so they ask, verse 2, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now we must understand that they are asking Jesus this question in light of the debate about any cause divorce. So when the Pharisees ask this question, there's an implied, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? It's kind of like when we say, is it lawful for teenagers to drink. What we really mean, is it lawful for teenagers to drink, what? Alcohol. But we just say, can a teenager drink? Because that drink alcohol part is implied. That's exactly what's going on here in verse 2. The Pharisees are trying to drag Jesus into this debate about any cause divorce, so they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause. And to confirm what's going on here, we can look at Matthew's record of this same story. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. When Matthew writes about this same conversation, he puts it this way. Matthew 19, verse 3. And Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So Matthew doesn't imply that for any cause. He's more explicit than Mark is, but their point is the same. The issue at hand is any cause divorce. In other words, no fault divorce, divorce on demand. So Jesus responds to their question. Verse 3, what did Moses command you? In other words, Jesus says, think back to the Old Testament scriptures. What did Moses command you concerning divorce? So Jesus, as he often did, answers their question with a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? The Pharisees respond, verse 4. Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And so the Pharisees indicate which side of this debate they're on. They are pro-any-cause divorces. All a man has to do is write the certificate and send her away. Moses said we could. And in fact, the any cause divorce position was the more widely accepted of the two options. The majority of the people, even God's people, the Jews, were in favor of no-fault divorce and divorce on demand. Moses said we could write the certificate and send her away. Jesus responds, verse 5, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. In other words, Moses didn't give you permission to divorce for any cause. Moses gave you that option for what Jesus calls hardness of heart. 
Now, when Jesus brings up hard-heartedness in the context of divorce, talking about divorce, the Pharisees' minds would have recalled the first several chapters of Jeremiah's prophecy. Okay, Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet, and the Pharisees knew the Old Testament scriptures very well. So they would have known that Jesus was making this connection as he brings up divorce and hard-heartedness. So let's look back there ourselves with, to see what Jesus is talking about, okay? So in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, God speaks of Israel, his people, and God says this through Jeremiah. God says, I remember Israel, the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. So God speaks of his people, Israel, his bride, as one who followed him. Israel was devoted to him, he says. However, if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know that things go sideways between God and Israel. And so as Jeremiah recounts this story, later in chapter 2, verse 20, he says this, For long ago, Israel, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. But you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore. So God says, even though I redeemed you from slavery in Egypt, even though I broke those bonds that Egypt enslaved you with, even though I brought you into this covenant relationship of marriage with me, God says to Israel, you cheated on me. You visited the high hills where the other gods are worshipped. You bowed down to idols. And eventually... God concludes in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. God says, She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. So did you know that? God himself is a divorcee. And he himself issues the decree of divorce. He's the one who calls the lawyer, as it were. He's the one who files the papers. God issues the decree of divorce, Jeremiah says, with Israel. But not for any cause. It was, as Jesus put it, because of Israel's hard-heartedness. Israel had repeatedly and willfully and unrepentantly broken their marital vows with God. So after bearing with them for a long time, God says, enough. It's over. Divorce was never God's design. But hard-heartedness does happen. A spouse can become so callous, so abusive, so adulterous, so unfeeling, so merciless for so long that there can be a time for divorce. But divorce for any cause? No way. 
Rabbi Hillel and his followers had liberalized Moses' words. They had twisted the scriptures in ways that were dangerous for women at the time and selfish for men. Any cause, no fault, divorce on demand was never God's design. Well, what about divorces today? What are the circumstances driving such high divorce rates amongst us? Well, we don't need to be simplistic. For every struggling couple that thinks about divorce, the circumstances vary. At the same time, I want us to think about some of the common reasons that are often given for moving forward with divorce. So Jim Neuheiser, he's a counseling professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. He's also been a pastor of Grace Bible Church in Escondido, California for nearly 30 years. And Dr. Neuheiser wrote a book called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And in one of the chapters of that book, he lists some of the common reasons that are used to initiate divorce. A first one that he's often heard, we're no longer in love. You know, we're just not feeling it anymore. The sparks are gone, and so we're done. But guys, this definition of love does not include commitment, loyalty, perseverance. It's all about feelings. So when the feelings are gone, the marriage goes. And this is almost, God does care about feelings, but this is almost contrary to how God, totally contrary to how God defines love in Scripture. Another one that Dr. Neuheiser has heard, I owe it to myself to be happy. God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. Friends, I hope that speaks for itself. And surely God wants us to be happy, but more than that, he wants us to be holy. He wants us to be faithful and to experience the joy of living life as he's designed it. A final one. All my friends say that I ought to leave her or him. And indeed, it makes it hard when your friends and family are saying one thing. But what does Jesus say? His voice is our priority. His voice is most loving and most true. So all of these typical reasons for divorce listed by this author, we're not in love, I'm not happy, all of them boil down to what divorce laws refer to as irreconcilable differences. We just can't get along. And so we quit. So we would be hard-pressed to say that any of these excuses qualify as hardness of heart. Maybe they are hard situations. Marriage is hard, no doubt. But a hard marriage doesn't mean that your spouse is hard-hearted and that God blesses your marriage. Except that any cause divorce was never God's design. And sticking with your marital vows through all sorts of nonsense from your spouse, that's God's design. And that's what will ultimately lead us into blessing, hard as it may be. Except that 
Divorce was never God's design, except that divorce breaks what should not be broken. Divorce breaks what should not be broken. Jesus continues. I'll start again in verse 5. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses wrote you this commandment. So there's the legitimate grounds of divorce, that is hard-heartedness. Jesus continues, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So while the Pharisees want to talk about all the reasons they can divorce, they want to look for all the legal and scriptural loopholes they can jump through. But Jesus points them back to God's original design for marriage in the first place. He quotes from uh, several times, he quotes from the first three chapters of Genesis, where again, Moses writes about how God made man into male and female. God made this binary pair. He made this complementary couple. And the divine arrangement for marriage is for man to leave mommy and daddy and to hold fast to his wife. And when this happens, when these vows are taken, when these marital promises are made, there's a divine dynamic whereby God makes the two into one. Husband and wife are no longer two, Jesus says, but one flesh. This is why traditionally, not always, but traditionally, we have marriage ceremonies here at church. Or at least if we don't have the service at a church building, the service is still a service of Christian worship. It's led by a pastor. We offer prayers to God. We sing to God almost like a worship service here on Sunday. Because in the same way that God is here amongst us as we worship, God is also present in the marriage ceremony. He brings the two into one as they offer their marriage vows to one another. God makes the two one flesh. So what's the consequence of this theological reality? Jesus tells us, verse 9, Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That's the demand on our lives, except that divorce breaks what should not be broken. You know, there are plenty of earthly relationships that we should back out of, right? Our relationship with our car, our relationship with our clothes, with our job, with our car, you know, I've had it for a while. It's getting hard to take care of, all these Michigan potholes. I just need to move on. It's getting hard. Our clothes. You know, I just don't really like these clothes anymore. I'm just not feeling it. So I'm going to get some new ones that I do like. Or our job. You know, it's just not that exciting anymore. My boss annoys me, so I'm going to find something that sort of livens things up a little bit. And that's fine. Break your relationship with your car, your clothes, your job. God did not make you one flesh with those things. But God 
makes us one flesh with our spouse. Therefore, any cause divorce breaks what should not be broken. And Jesus does not let up. He's not finished. Verses 10 and 12. The conversation has ended with the Pharisees, and now Jesus speaks privately in the house with the 12 disciples. Verses 10 through 12, Mark writes, And in the house, the disciples asked Jesus again about this matter. And Jesus said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband for any cause and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, my sense is that Jesus and his disciples get back into the house, and the disciples ask Jesus, Jesus, did we hear you right? Hard-heartedness is the only exception for divorce, and any cause divorce is wrong, and this whole one flesh thing Did we hear you right? Because that's pretty harsh. Now, what do you think? Does Jesus soften? No, he doubles down. Oh, yeah. You heard me right. Not only is hard-heartedness the only exception, but if you divorce apart from hard-heartedness and you remarry, you commit adultery. Jesus raises the standard for marriage. And he's been doing this all along. Jesus raises the standard for discipleship. If you would follow me, it will cost you everything. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. If you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Billy preached on it a few weeks ago. See, friends, our God is unthinkably merciful. He is wondrously gracious. The same Jesus who spoke these tough words in Mark 10, he's the same Jesus who in John chapter 8 knelt down by that condemned adulterous woman. He protected her and he said, go and sin no more. The same Jesus who spoke these hard words in Mark 10, he's the same one who hung on the cross, dying in our place to save us. Oh, he is full of love. He is full of grace. But his grace is not cheap. Just because we've received the grace of God does not mean it lowers the standards of God. In fact, it raises them. And the standard is, divorce breaks what should not be broken. So, to finish our time this morning, Jesus has spoken to a very specific issue. And so, I likewise want to speak to each one of us more specifically where we are as it relates to this issue of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Okay, so the first group of people I want to speak to are those who are not married yet. So all of you middle schoolers, all the babies I hear crying out here, glad to have you, by the way. Glad to have you. 
Uh, our, our son does the same. We just put him on the back row, so. <laughs> All you guys in your 20s and 30s or many who are older, many of us who are older who are still single, I want to speak to us, and my heart for you is be excited for marriage. Marriage can be truly awesome and delightful. It can be an amazing adventure in partnership with your spouse. You know, I love having acquaintances and coworkers and friends, but Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says this. It says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And oh my goodness, you get crazy close in marriage. There's sometimes I will look at Meg and I feel like we're one organism, you know? It's like we share so much of life together. We are so crazy close. It's like, who is CT apart from CT and Meg? And so be excited for that. It's a unique opportunity to grow in this tight relationship with your spouse. At the same time, do not enter into this covenant lightly. You're not making a deal with Shara Chevrolet, Chevrolet down the road, buying a car. You're making a deal with God, and you're receiving your spouse. So do not enter into this covenant lightly. Be excited, but take your vows deadly serious. And seek the Lord for mercy that you could fulfill them for life. And second, I want to speak to those of us who are married and are struggling. And what I want to say to you is that you are not alone. You are not alone. In your shame, in your anger, in your sadness, in your fear... You are not alone. Even amongst God's people, there are many of us who know how painful, how frustrating, and how hopeless marriage can be. And as a church, our dream, really God's dream for us, is that we could be a community of honesty about how hard it is, and also safety, so that you can show up and... and Communicate whatever is going on, however crazy it's gotten. You can share that and be accepted and welcomed without judgment. We want to come alongside you and support you and help you find healing in the gospel. Don't give up. Hang on. God cares about your marriage. God made your marriage. He made the two of you into one flesh. So hold fast. And finally, I want to speak to those of us who are divorced already, or maybe divorced and remarried, maybe even that cycle's happened multiple times already. As we've seen, Jesus takes this sin very seriously. And it may be that you need to seek reconciliation with your former spouse. 
It may be that to one degree or another, you need to make an effort to seek some sort of reconciliation with your spouse. At the very least, unlawfully breaking our marital vows is always an occasion of repentance. It's always an occasion of confessing wrongdoing. It's never a celebration. Jesus is not flippant about these things. Jesus takes this sin very seriously. But this is not the unforgivable sin. Yes, go before God in humility and brokenness for what's happened, but receive grace and move forward in obedience to the best of your ability. God will not reject your apology. God will not reject your remorse. I mentioned John chapter 8, that scene where the woman is on trial for adultery and some religious leaders threaten to stone her. And Jesus comes to her side. He defends her and he says, go and sin no more. In other words, you are loved. You are forgiven. Now move forward in obedience. Marriage is for life. Any cause divorce was never God's design. Any cause divorce breaks what should not be broken. That's Jesus' message for us on marriage and divorce. That's God's call on our lives as we seek to follow His Son and bring the kingdom of God to earth. Friends, we all need grace in this effort. We all need forgiveness. We all need community and support. That's Jesus' word for us of challenge. What do you think? How will you respond? Thumbs up or a thumbs down? Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you, and all of us are challenged by this word. All of us are met with these strong words, your high expectations for how we are to approach our marital vows. And so, God, we come before you humbly. We come before you having heard this hard word and feeling need the need of your spirit to empower us, the need of people to help us, the need of your grace to forgive us all. And so, God, we pray that could happen. God, give healing to the marriages that are hurting. Give protection to the marriages that are about to start. And, Father, we pray that you would Help us to forgive, help us to love, help us to endure in the same ways that you've endured with us. And Father, I pray that the marriages in this church would be a light to our community, that the marriages in this church could be a rock to bring stability to our society. God, help us to get there. Help us to persevere for the glory of your name. It's all about you, God. Our marriages reflect you and your faithfulness and your love and your power. 
Thank you for this gift of marriage, and may it be used for the glory of your name by us all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand and sing, church, and one more time declare the faithfulness of our God and our desire to follow him faithfully in the future. Thank you.